Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The following podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be sent to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. The following is a special broadcast exclusively from the SureDog Radio Network. DSRN. You're getting beat down after the bell. Of UFC 205 here on the SureDog Radio Network. My name is TJ DeSantis along with Caleb Quinn and Casey. You're going to have to help me again. Hulk Hall staff? Thank you. We are broadcasting live in Las Vegas. You let us set up shop in your 10th Planet uh, Jiu-Jitsu gym, and I appreciate that. Uh, We are fresh off the heels of UFC 205. Conor McGregor defeats Eddie Alvarez in your uh, main event of the evening. Looking at this fight, it was a historic night for several reasons. Largely, uh, it was the first uh, fight in... UFC's history in Madison Square Garden. On top of that, it was uh, 23 years ago tonight the Ultimate Fighting Championship took place in Denver, Colorado. UFC won. So, very serendipitous that it was this night. And, man, I don't know if the UFC could have asked for a better evening in uh, Madison Square Garden. Three titles on the line. Largely every title fight lived up to what it was supposed to be. If, If you look at Tyron Woodley and, and Stephen Thompson, a little weird with the majority draw. We'll talk about how that was announced inside the arena. Uh, but Carolina Kolvakevich, you know, had a very hard uh, fought uh, bout with Joanna Ion Jacek. Yeah, Jacek proves why she is the strawweight champion, fought a very uh, hard fought uh, fight. Um, I-, I thought she won the first three rounds pretty handedly. Um, but she showed what qualities make a great champion. She showed that in her last fight with Claudia Gadelia, and this time out, um, you know, taking some punishment but not getting rocked too bad, being able to recover, coming back, and uh, largely uh, doing what she does best, and, and that is persevering, sticking to her guns. A lot of people were talking about Karolina Kvolkiewicz being very similar to Joanna, but not as well refined. And I think we saw that in the, in the women's strawweight bout. Um, but let's start at the top. Conor McGregor, the now lightweight and featherweight champion. And if you don't like it, don't expect an apology. This man <laughs> is really becoming the total package when it's concerned to marketability, uh, fighting, uh, I, I don't think that there is a better guy right now in the uh, UFC's uh, octagon when it comes from a marketing standpoint and when it comes from a technical standpoint. 
Caleb, I will start with you uh, from MMA Evolution. Caleb Quinn, first off, thank you for letting me make your bachelor party into a work night on the Sherdog <laughs> Radio Network. But uh, let, let's talk. Let's start with with Conor McGregor. He he got it done, and he just looked to be the much more scientific, much more technical striker than Eddie Alvarez. And, and when you look at how he pulled it off. It was Anderson Silva-like. It was like the instructor playing with the child. And, and to make Eddie Alvarez, an all-time MMA great, look that foolish on the feet, um, that, that's as big of an accomplishment as, as holding two titles in two divisions at the same time. I got to be honest with you. I, I called this fight exactly how it happened, but like I, w- I still was kind of in shock that it did unfold, that it actually happened, that he did win two titles, that he, he accomplished everything he said he was going to accomplish because it just... Not that I doubted him, but it's it's so radically brand new and no one's ever done it before, never's ever accomplished it or even attempted it before. And and he did it and he looked amazing. Casey, you have some vested interest in the result here. Uh, obviously, you work hand in hand with Tony Ferguson, who, uh, for my money, is the clear number one contender at 155 pounds. Looking at Khabib uh, Nurmagomedov's uh, performance tonight, um, he beat Michael Johnson, but it wasn't in the manner that I, I thought he needed to to earn that title fight. He was in a lot of trouble in, in the first round. I wouldn't have an issue if, I mean, not that you want to hear this, but I wouldn't have an issue with Khabib and uh, Tony fighting one another if Connor walked away for a little while. Um, the problem with Connor walking away is it's going to put two divisions on hold, and I don't think that the lightweight. Uh, division deserves. I don't think the featherweight division deserves that. And even even if he does stay active, there's a lot of talk about him maybe walking away for a little while. It didn't seem like that in the post fight interview. But if he does, you know, fight Jose Aldo, who's the interim champion at 145, that 55 pound division has to wait. That's not fair to Tony. It's not really fair to Khabib either. So, what do you think? What do you think is next for Conor McGregor, and and should it be Tony Ferguson? Well, definitely, I think Tony Ferguson deserves a shot. I mean. He's been consistently fighting and winning over the last three years, you know, without a hiccup. And uh, he's a finisher. He's finishing everybody. Um, obviously, he didn't get a chance to finish uh, his last fight. But, you know, I, if it would have gone a little longer, I think he could have. And uh, the UFC put themselves in a little bit of a pickle here by kind of fighting all three of them at the same time. Yeah. So so it would have been nice to see either Tony fight a while ago or a little bit later. That way, you know, it would be able to work itself out like that. But it's looking like uh, Nagamadov and Tony are probably going to fight for the number one contender. Now, when you were watching the Nurmagomedov fight this evening, what were your thoughts? Because, you know, the, the last fight with Daryl Horcher for – Khabib, he didn't look like the Khabib that we saw before the long layoff. Coming back tonight, the first round, we didn't see the Khabib that we're normally used to seeing. Um, but the second round, it, that's when he the, the, the switch flipped for uh, Khabib. He started to fire on all cylinders and really get it going. Um, that guy, to me, looks like the number one, number two, number three lightweight in the world. How do, how do you feel he matches up with Tony, who has... Uh, a, a pressure style, a very intense style. I mean, I, I see those two clashing in the center of the octagon, probably delivering a pretty fun fight. Yeah, for, for me, I think that it's pretty clear Tony's going to win that fight. It's uh, stylistic for me. I, I think that if you're going to take Tony out, it needs to be early. 
And the longer that he stays around in a fight, the more dangerous he becomes because he can win in so many ways. He, he's got tremendous power, incredible submissions, and uh, Nurmagomedov definitely does not start fast and finish early. And I just think it's a bad matchup for him. We are going to take phone calls. The number eight four four sure dog. That is eight four four seven four three seventy three sixty four. You can get at us there. Um, I'm going to stick uh, with our main event here. Casey, what was it that you saw tonight with Conor McGregor? Why was he able to really sort of clown and style on Eddie Alvarez? Because Eddie is not a, a, a poor fighter by any means, but it just seemed where the more aggressive Eddie was, the more he was countered. And it wasn't countered with you know one or two shots. It was three four-punch combinations. I mean, to do that, you have to be a, a really special fighter, and I think we're seeing that in Conor. I think so. I for me, I think uh, looking back at Eddie's fights in the past, you always see that he takes a seat in most fights. He gets touched early, and and he he comes back and responds well. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that Connor showed in a lot of his fights is the ability to finish standing. And so for me, I saw it going this way, and uh, I think that his his ability to our willingness to take a punch, yeah, with a coupled with Connor's power and accuracy is just a bad combination. It's interesting, and I'll ask you, Caleb, um, looking at Connor McGregor, he said it. It's it's timing, it's technique, it's not necessarily power. Those were his words when he defeated Jose Aldo. Tonight, if you look at the punches he was landing on Eddie, I didn't think that they were loaded up shots. They weren't haymakers. They were smart, they were precise, and they were very quick. What is it about Conor McGregor that sets him apart? Why is he able to pull off this technique where the other featherweights, maybe besides Jose Aldo, don't seem to be as on point in these lightweights while he's as big? I mean, he looked to be the bigger fighter tonight, mm-hmm. but he was he was just every bit as fast as, as Eddie Alvarez, if not faster. Uh, I think that the reach played a huge, huge role in tonight's outcome. And Connor was just able to maintain that, so he was never in danger. And every time that Eddie stepped into range so he could fire, he was opening himself up to those counters. And that was all Connor did all night was just hit those. The thing that I think really paid off for Connor was he was extremely patient. You know, he would tag Eddie and he wouldn't just swarm him. And I feel like when Eddie has had those miraculous recoveries, it's because somebody swarms him and kind of gasses themselves out when they can't finish him. And then he can come back, whereas Connor kind of hung back, and then he stung him a couple more times until he put him down, and, and Eddie was just clearly out of it, and it was just a matter of time. When you look at Connor McGregor at 155 pounds, again, he wasn't small by any means. Um, you know, a, a guy that was fighting at 145, big for the, the division. John Cavanaugh said, I don't want to ever see him fight at 145 pounds. There becomes a point where... You need to cut ties with a a weight class that you're comfortable with. When I look at uh, the the type of fighter that Conor McGregor is, clearly he can have success at any weight division. Right now, his toughest battle has been the cut. If he vacated that 145-pound title, would either of you blame him? Because it seems like he's just fine at 55. I think it'd be a smart move on his part. He has nothing else to prove in that weight division, and he seems like a guy who's always up for a challenge. Kind of fits into his uh, his grand plan, I believe. 
Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. He there's nothing there for him. There's no big money fight, you know. The way that he just took Aldo out like that, I don't think people are that interested in seeing that rematch. And Connor's in a position now where he can create these money fights. You know, like I, I really thought that he was gonna put forth an effort to get Mayweather or some like huge name called out when he was standing there with the two right. belts. He didn't seize that opportunity. But I, I'm sure that he's going to come back out with something bigger than Jose Aldo next. You know, obviously the press conference is going to be going down now, so maybe we'll get some uh, comments on that and maybe what he is is saying at Madison Square Garden. But you know, there was a lot of talk about what is he going to say post fight. Um, when I look at how Conor McGregor handled himself, you can argue that maybe he was a bad boy a little bit, but for my money, I thought he was actually playing pretty fair to the company yeah he was calling him out for not having two belts in the cage and uh he mentioned the the 4.2 billion dollar price tag saying that he's responsible for that but he didn't do anything to necessarily make them look bad he could have said there's nobody left for me to fight here bring me floyd mayweather or Mm -hmm. i'm retiring or i have no reason to continue doing this he played the character because i think it is a character i think every sort of persona like that in the fight game is probably rooted in a little bit of reality but it's hammed up for for the lights um conor mcgregor i mean you said it casey when we were sitting here watching it you were like there's no one better and there really isn't there isn't a better complete package when you look at what he's doing from a fighting standpoint and from a marketing standpoint he might be the the best combat sports athlete we have in the world, whether it's boxing, whether it's mixed martial arts, he just he's the total package. I agree with that 100%. I mean, he never slips up in what he says. He's very deliberate, and it seems like he's always uh, executing his plan flawlessly every time. And I mean, you've got to respect that. If if the point of fighting is to win belts and make money, yeah. no one else has done it better. No, I mean he he largely the way he does it too is I think he the people that don't like him get turned off even more, which really makes them love him in a roundabout way. I mean, uh, the, I mean, when you look at like something like pro wrestling and combat sports, even too, with like Floyd Mayweather, the guy who is hated the most is the guy that is almost loved the most because you need a foil. You need someone to dislike. You need someone to hopefully develop a prospect to sort of tackle that mountain. And, and you know, I, I don't know who it is. Uh, you know, for you, your money, Casey, you're going to say it's Tony Ferguson. But Conor McGregor is going to be able to hold on to this flag and run with it for as long as he's allowed. And, and what the UFC needs is when Conor McGregor does stumble and falter, whoever does beat him really gets pushed above and beyond. Nate Diaz has largely ran with that since his last fight with, or since his first fight with Conor McGregor. So um, I don't know. I just I don't know. I don't know how you solve the puzzle. I mean, you're going to have to try to find out with Tony Casey, but. I don't know how you solve that, this puzzle. Well, I think Tony and Nate present similar problems with uh, Connor, except for Tony has way more power and better wrestling. And uh, I think, I mean, I hate to say it, but I think it's a pretty easy fight for Tony. I think Tony takes him out inside of two rounds. Well, you uh, you have some bias there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the other side of that coin, and I'm going to say it's going to be very difficult for you guys because Connor is has been flawless largely. I mean, when he gets taken down, we saw that in the first Nate Diaz fight, he's in trouble. No one's put him there uh, since that fight. 
But, man, you have to figure out a pretty serious riddle to get him there. If you were going to fight uh, McGregor, Caleb, how would you try to attack him? Because Eddie really didn't go for takedowns. He was largely defensive immediately because he was dropped three times in the first round. He never got his own game going. How do you settle in with Conor McGregor? He, Eddie did kick the legs a few times and sort of set that up early, but largely he wasn't able to really get, get any sort of offense going before he was purely defensive. Well, I do want to kind of just comment on the Connor doesn't have any ground game thing. Like, he was rocked before he went down there. You know, he may not have had his wits at all, and, you know, he may have been dropped all the way back to white belt before Nate got on top of him. So it it's hard to say that he's that bad, or it's also hard to say he's that good because we haven't seen it. But I, I could see an excuse for his performance there. Um, I don't even remember what you asked me. I asked you if you were going to attack Conor McGregor, how would you do it? Oh, he keeps that lead leg out, and I think I would go for that single. I think I would either pick the low one or I would take the single and run the pipe and, and get him to the ground. You know, If I can't beat him on the ground, if I can't submit him, I, I would hope that I could at least tire him on the ground. There are only a handful of guys, though, that can really attack a good single leg, and I would say that Eddie Alvarez, I mean, when I think of Eddie Alvarez, I think of wars. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think of him shooting a single leg and really trying to work it. I mean, yes, he is wrestling. He's capable of wrestling. But, I mean, what do you think? I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, you saw, what do you got, uh, Casey, what do you think that Eddie's game plan was tonight? Because obviously we didn't get really to get to see it. Well, uh, to touch on the last comment Caleb made in the very beginning about mm-hmm. um, Connor controlling range and distance. And we know in fighting, even on the ground, range and distance is very important. That's like the most important thing. So, um, to go back to the question about how do you beat Connor, right. you have to establish range and distance and get him fighting out of rhythm. And I think that's why guys like Nate Diaz can hang with him because they're longer and they can control range and distance. And I think that's the way to present uh, problems for Connor. I think shorter fighters like like Eddie Alvarez, I, mean, I think that's a lot to deal with for him, especially with a, with a chin that's been tested and he, you know, he, he gets sit down a lot. Um, I'm not sure exactly what their game plan was, right. but I would have definitely tried to close the distance immediately with Connor. I wouldn't have been standing at range with him. And I think something that we saw with the first and second Diaz fight um, with with Connor was either you hurt him and he starts to fade, or if you get him into the latter part of the fight, he starts to fade. But getting to that point for a lot of guys is going to be tricky. Um, those fights, I believe, both were at 170 pounds. Do you think that cardio sort of opening is closed when he is forced to make 55 kilos? Do you feel that he's just in a better uh, sort of cardio shape because he has to make weight? Yeah, I think that this is the perfect weight class for him. Like, we've seen when he cuts down to 145 how bad he looks on the scale, mm-hmm. and that, that has to play into his cardio at 145. And then when he's at 170, especially if he was fighting a big 170. Yeah. He he I think that he would have a lot of trouble with his endurance. Whereas this is more like it fits his frame. Mm-hmm. He's able to maintain muscle and hydration. I think he performs his best at 155. Yeah, I think that what, what I hate to say this cuz it closes a good rematch that I think Jose Aldo deserves to a certain extent, but I think Conor McGregor is the lightweight champion and I think he should remain the lightweight champion. I think that if the weight cut was an issue, because I don't want to see Connor go down to 145 and fight less than his capabilities because he needs to make weight. And, you know, we're, 
weight cutting is a, an issue in mixed martial arts. The UFC is trying to curtail it. Um, Connor hasn't had to make 145 with the, the 10 a.m. Uh, weight cut, so I don't know if that might change things, if he's able to you know hydrate a bit longer before the bout, if that would change things. But if your coach is saying, I don't ever want to see you fight again at 155. 45. Or, yeah, 145, sorry. You, you might want to listen to him. But uh, I don't know. Whether it's 45 or 55 next, uh, be sure that the world is going to take notice every single time. Conor McGregor fights, and uh, they should. What do you guys see next for Eddie Alvarez? Tough loss for him. Uh, he never successfully defended his UFC lightweight title. Um, he's a legend. To me, Eddie Alvarez was a few title defenses away from being potentially maybe the top three best lightweight of all time. Think about his accomplishments. Bellator champion. Uh, standout in uh, pride. Uh, he, Bodog champion, if you, if you want to go way back there. Um, he's a guy who is, he's like a second generation fighter because he was fighting, you know, 13 years ago. And he's also this third generation fighter realizing his dream at the heights of mixed martial arts fandom. Um, I, I think that he's going to be able to go on and, and rebound from this. But man, Casey, 155 is a tough division to try to get to. And as we saw tonight, it's even harder to stay on top. Yeah, you definitely don't want to linger around that 10, 9, 8, 7 yeah. area. That's just murderer's row down there, you know. And I, if you're not fighting for a belt, I don't understand why you should be even fighting, you know. And I've met Eddie Alvarez in person. He's an amazing person, really gracious with his time. And, and you know, I, I hope he just reevaluates what's going on and, and maybe a couple more. When you look at Eddie Alvarez, I mean, he's coming off the loss tonight. The way Sean Shelby has matched up, guys, he likes to match winners with winners, guys that have lost with other guys that have recently lost. I mean, Joe is, is exiting stage left. We've got uh, new stuff there. I, I would not be upset if uh, Mick Maynard or, or Sean Shelby wanted to match up Michael Johnson with Eddie Alvarez. They're both on the same card, same timeline. And, I mean, Michael Johnson looked very good against uh, Nurmagomedov in the first round. I think that would be a fun firefight to have. Maybe RDA again, too? Yeah. That's who came to mind first for me right away. I mean, I'm not a big fan of rematches, like, within a year's time, especially. I mean, RDA hasn't won a fight since he lost to Eddie. Um, maybe maybe if both of them get a couple wins, they circle back. But they're both on that same timeline. I mean, they fought within a week of one another. They both lost. Uh, I wouldn't hate it. So, uh, largely it's going to come down to where they go, what fights appeal in that market, etc. Let's talk about the co-main event. Tyron Woodley uh, remains the welterweight champion. However, he did not successfully defend it in a roundabout way. He didn't get the victory despite Bruce Buffer. Uh, man, that was just a weird instance. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to Bruce on his podcast next week because he came in, he started his announcement, the, it looked like the athletic commission said, "Get it, come back outside. And then you saw Bruce go back to his position, and I think he screamed some obscenity. Like, he was not very happy about something. And then he walks back inside, and, I mean, he read the scorecard. And, and Bruce has always told me that he reads the scorecard. Like, the athletic commission says one, two, three on the scorecard. So you read one first, two three and it's supposed to be what it should have said is it should have started with judge 
so-and-so says this is a 47-47 draw. Judge 2 sees the bout 48-47, Tyron Woodley. And Judge 3 sees the bout 47-47, we have a majority draw. Instead, it was read 247s, which right there, you two judges yeah, have the it. The next score draw. doesn't even matter. doesn't matter. Um, the last time I believe there was a majority draw, it was read the same way. Um, it'll be interesting to know what exactly happened because uh, Tyron Woodley went from being on top of the world to, oh, I'm still keeping my title. And Joe was interviewing him when they figured it out. But you could tell that Tyron Woodley went from winning a fight to not winning a fight, not losing his belt, but also not getting that win bonus. And, uh, I mean, I don't know what his disclosed earnings will be for this fight, but it's a significant chunk of money that he was like, yeah, I got it. Oh, no. It's, it's almost like it was like, here, see it? You can't have it, though. Like, that's tough. I, I feel like he went out there and the commission kind of called him back, like, no, there has to be a winner. Because Bruce is a professional. I don't see him messing up, really, on right. something like this. And I think that they told him, and that's why he kind of looked upset, because he knew this isn't right. He read it as he was told to, mm -hmm. as he was instructed to. And then the people kind of in the UFC, not the commission, kind of stepped up and like, hey, guys, hey, I know that you're new at this. Right. So let me just explain how things work. It was interesting to see a variety of things tonight. I mean, the UFC did a good job at, at building up the momentum behind this uh, event. A lot of little vignettes and videos showing, you know, how New York has been uh, very, you know, integral in some of the biggest fights. I mean, the biggest fights in the world have been at Madison Square Garden. So for the UFC to go there tonight, it was a big deal. But this was the first show for the New York Athletic Commission. It's like, all right, pressure's on. Um, if this is the only fumble, I think that's good. I mean, they did make a decision on Rashad Evans, you know, with a with an abnormality in a, a pre-fight physical. So they they, it's very rare that you actually hear someone being pulled from a card because of you know failing their physicals at the highest level. Um, it's interesting to know that uh, Evans and Tim Kennedy are fighting at UFC 206 relatively soon, but I mean they had to kind of do it all. Uh, they. If this is the only screw-up, I'll give him a pass here. Because, I mean, how often do we see majority draws? Like, especially in title fights. Hmm. I mean, I can understand it in a three-round fight every once in a while. But, like, all of a sudden, like, it's pretty hard to get a draw in a five-round fight. Like, you're going to have to have a 10-8 round. Um, you can have a 10-10 round uh, or, uh, like, a, you know, lose two rounds and win a 10-8 in a, in, in th in a three-round fight. It's it's almost a bit more understandable to deal with in a three-round fight because there's, like, le less math involved, you know what I mean? And, like, we've seen judges screw up 29-28, just adding up three rounds. So, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, it'll be interesting to hear what Bruce Buffer has to say and what was written down for him, but uh, we'll find out. Let's talk about the fight. Um, Steven Thompson nearly got finished in the first round. Um, I scored the bout 47-47. I had it as a draw. I thought that Stephen Thompson won rounds two, three, and five, and he barely won the fifth. I don't think he landed anything, but he sort of controlled uh, Woodley, limiting his offensive output to just meaningless stuff. And granted, he didn't land, but he was. It was the game of making Woodley react more than act. Um, and when Woodley had his moments, he nearly finished the fight twice. Uh, you can argue that the first round could have been 10-8, as could have been the, the fourth. 
Um, so, so maybe you do score it you know, that way for, for Woodley, but I didn't. Uh, love to go back and watch it. Stephen Thompson is a very hard riddle to solve. Um, Woodley nearly did it in the first, and then, I don't know. Casey, let me ask you this. When you were watching it from a, from a technical standpoint, when you look at Tyron Woodley, his loss to Nate Marquardt happened in the fourth round of their Strike Force Championship bout. He faded. He said he gassed. He said that was in his past. After the performance tonight, do you think that is truly in his past? That cardio issues are no longer something that Tyron Woodley needs to worry about? It kind of looked like he was fading to me, to be honest. But uh, he was able to hang tough, and and he had some good moments in uh, the fourth round, obviously, right? But uh, I think he's solving it. I don't think he's solved it yet. Yeah. And uh, I think until people can get out of the fourth round, fifth round with him, we're never really going to know. And, right. And we saw a little bit of it tonight. You know, fifth round, I feel Stephen Thompson, like, he wasn't knocking him out or hurting him, but he was chasing him around, and, and uh, Woodley wasn't doing much. He was just kind of reacting. And I still give the fight to Woodley, personally. I would have. Okay. Um, when you look at the cardio and where he faded – I mean, he was going he was going ham in the fourth round there. Like, he, he rocked him hard. He was throwing some knees. And then he really sold out for that guillotine choke. Was that a mistake for him? Because he had him hurt. It, it seemed like they – it seemed like at that point he could either let the head go and unload another flurry of punches and see if he could get him out of there, or he needed to, to drop down for that guillotine. I've always been told position – before submission unless you really know you're going to get that submission I mean he ended up on his back and had to last 90 seconds there uh, on the floor with with Thompson and not that Thompson was going to rain down you know hellfire and brimstone and get him out of there but Tyron was gassed he, he Tyron Woodley is not a guy that's throwing up triangles from the bottom at least we haven't seen it yet was going for the guillotine a mistake I feel that was a major tactical error on his part I think that he had uh, Stephen Thompson seriously hurt, and uh, when he grabbed a hold of the head, he should have let go and just started punching down on him. For sure, I think he would have taken him out right there. What do you think, Caleb? Assess his performance. I I think the the guillotine was weird because that's not like his wheelhouse. That's not what he would normally do. If I were watching that fight and you paused it and you were like, "Hey, tell me what happens next." I think he should have like done a front headlock snap down and then continued to punch from that position because he was landing good shots and he landed some really good shots as Steven was getting to his feet mm-hmm. and kind of just rinse and repeat that and then, you know, mix some knees in there too. And I think, yeah, he would have gotten that stoppage then. I think that, I think Steven did a good job not tapping to that choke because I mean, that's a big, strong dude pulling on your neck. But uh, ultimately, it, it was a, he caught a break on that. So I can make an argument that Stephen Thompson won this fight. Um, I, I like the draw. I think the draw is a clear-cut decision, a good decision. Uh, might be a nice example of how a draw looks in mixed martial arts. But if this were pride rules or if we were out on the playground or in the street, Tyron Woodley kicked the shit out of Stephen Thompson because basically just the moments that he had, Stephen Thompson won the game. You know what I mean? Stephen Thompson won the mixed martial arts 10-point must system game if you don't score a 10-8. But Stephen Thompson's going to have a busted-up nose, not going to look great. The highlights, when they just showed the highlights of that fight, yeah, he landed some nice strikes, and he had Woodley backing up. But Tyron was pummeling him with elbows, busting up his nose. Um, If this were pride rules, Tyron Woodley wins. 
a lot of people want pride rules. A lot of people think that we need to get away from the 10-point must system. That's an antiquated system for boxing and not mixed martial arts. I'd like your guys' thoughts on uh, is the 10-point must system the best for mixed martial arts at this point? For me, anytime there's a, a, a must, a 10-point must in a round, right. the system can be gamed. So I like the pride rules personally because if the, uh, the objective is to finish fights and to fight, then there shouldn't be – it should be based as a whole, not round by round by right, round. Right, sure. should be a lot less strategy, more fighting, I think. Casey, did you go to the Fight to Win event they had here in Vegas? I was not there. Are, are you familiar with them at all? Yes, I am. Okay, so they did this thing I thought was really cool where they I, – I think they judged it as a whole. It was only one round. But they sent up the three judges with colored flags, and they just raised the corner that they thought had won. I like that better. It's obviously a lot more subjective. You know, you might prefer this style better, prefer this fighter better, but those same biases are going to factor into your round by round scoring. So I see that kind of negating that argument. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, I definitely agree with you. I like the the idea of judging the fight as a whole, and it's also kind of like if you get that guy who's up two to, to, to two to nothing. He can't just coast, and if you're down two to nothing, you can't give up. You know, like you, you can have a really impressive performance and then take it. You know, and I, I think there was a Noguera, uh, Josh Barnett was that the one where I mean it was like Noguera was dominating. Josh Barnett hit that knee bar, and they yeah. gave it to him in the end. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Quentin Jackson fought Marillo Ninja, and it was a fight that Ninja was winning mostly, and then Quentin came back and, and stole it in, in the final moments as well, like in, in pride. So um, fighting is a momentum thing, right? Like if you, you, can, you can lose a lot, but if you almost drop the guy in the final like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, like – do you deserve the entire fight? Do you deserve the entire fight if you would have had 30 more seconds that you would have finished him? Because it's only a 10-8 if it's a three-round fight and then you have a draw. You know, I, I don't know. I like the 10-point must system. I think the biggest problem with the 10-point must system is the simple fact that a lot of judges still don't know what they're looking for. They don't... Um, they, they Like, I, I like damage being a criteria to a certain extent. I like the fact that if you are hurt so badly that you're busted up, that it is impairing your ability to continue, I think to a certain extent damage should be a criteria. If you get a, a meaningless cut, eh, I don't think it's a big deal. But, like, one thing I'll say, a lot of people say, oh, damage shouldn't be a criteria because some people just cut easier. That doesn't stop people from stopping a fight because you're cut over the eye and, and saying it's no contest. If you get cut over the eye, you lose TKO cut. So why shouldn't a cut in a roundabout way add up to damage points for somebody? I mean, maybe I'm reaching a little bit, but I think that there's a case for it, no? I, I don't think you're reaching at all. I think that cut got there because someone landed a strike. Right. You know, that was something that the opponent had done, and they, they deserve credit for it. To say, oh, you know, I've been fighting a long time, and I've got a lot of scar tissue, and all you did is you opened up something from 20 years ago. That's, that's very dismissive. Like, right. dude, you just got hit by a punch that you probably have been trying to dodge for 20 years. It's kind of like there's no such thing as a lucky punch. You know, like, it landed. Why? Because I threw it. You can say that, oh, maybe Matt Sarah got lucky when he beat George St. Pierre. No, he didn't. He landed a punch and sent his brain into la-la land. Like, that's, that's not an accident. Uh, it's unlikely, but it's not an accident. So, I don't know. Uh, I do think that the ABC is going to continue to um, 
suggest scoring criteria changes and will evolve. But uh, I don't know. Let, let's let's stick to what has happened tonight. We have Tyron Woodley. He is still the welterweight champion. He's not a beloved champion. He's not. People don't like him, and and I can't really put my personal finger on it because, you know, working with Tyron, he wants to be a role model. He wants to be a guy that is liked by fans, but. I think, unfortunately for him, when he went out and said, hey, uh, I I want to fight Nick Diaz. I want to fight George St. Pierre. A lot of people were like, oh, you're ducking Stephen Thompson. I don't think he was ducking Stephen Thompson. I think the man wanted to get paid. Let's not forget, Tyron Woodley didn't start mixed martial arts when he's 19. He's, he's advanced. He's a bit longer in the tooth and much longer in the tooth than a lot of guys when they get their first title. Um, did he do anything? to endear himself to the mainstream tonight? I don't think necessarily he did anything to endear himself to the fans or the mainstream, but I don't feel like he did anything to detract from that either. I think he just kind of a professional fighter. He just goes and he fights, and he's trying to call his shot a little bit, but I think every fighter tries to do that. I, I mean, the goal is to make money. Right, and, and not everyone's Conor McGregor. You don't, you're not guaranteed a long shot you know long stint at the uh, at the top of the mountain yeah you don't see a whole lot of in the ufc media packs you don't see a whole lot of him doing like promos and and that kind of stuff up until this this card but before yeah. that there's not a lot no and and the question is who is that on is that on tyron woodley is that on the ufc you can't force a company to push you but does tyron sometimes maybe not create as many opportunities when he wins a title and the first thing he's doing is saying oh no Stephen Thompson I don't want to fight you you said you wanted to fight Robbie Lawler you go fight Robbie Lawler I'm gonna go fight Nick Diaz a guy who doesn't want to fight in five years you know it's it's that's a good point what's the formula who knows yeah but I mean like I understand what he's saying like a fight with Stephen Thompson or a fight with George St. Pierre if it was George St. Pierre tonight Tyron Woodley's making more money probably you know but Tyron Woodley also is probably getting a small pay-per-view cut on a pay-per-view that Conor McGregor was on. So it'll be interesting. I'm curious what Tyron's uh, purse is and, and how much he thought he was going to make and how much he realized he wasn't going to make in about a 30-second stint inside the octagon. Tough for him. Uh, Caleb, what's next for Stephen Thompson? I thought he won three rounds tonight, um, but I, I thought he also lost one 10-8. Should he get an immediate rematch with Tyron Woodley? I, I think just in the fact that it was ruled a draw, it's it's almost a given that it needs to be a rematch. Uh, I think that part of Tyron's problem was that he was he was a little scared or gun shy in the beginning on the feet, and that like I mean, you referenced it as like being a problem solver before, and as a, as a math teacher, I know taking a, a long test can be exhaustive mentally, and I think that now he'll be a lot calmer going into that fight. And I, I think he'll we'll see a much better Woodley in the second fight. And he solved the problem, can he go five rounds? I mean, now he knows he can. Right. And, and also, too, let's not forget about the massive amount of output he had in the fourth round. While he wasn't fresh by any means in the fifth round, he wasn't out of it. He wasn't opening the door wide for Stephen Thompson to take over. Yes, I think Thompson won the fifth round, but it wasn't by – force you know it was yeah it was tactics. more just inactivity right. on Tyron's part no absolutely and and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he 
you know, he threw a ton of strikes in that round. And, I mean, he held on to that guillotine for what seemed like a minute, minute and a half, and was squeezing with all of his might and uh, was really trying to get him out of there. But, uh, you know, it's very hard. Let's talk about Ioana Ionjacek. She defends her title um, successfully, defeating Karolina Kovalkiewicz. Um, Ioana, again, proved that she is what champions are made of in her last fight and this fight. I also think she's incredibly marketable. And it's, it's hard for a lot of women at 115 pounds to appeal to the mainstream. I think Ioana's doing everything right from top to bottom. She's exciting. She says the right things on the mic. And despite having a hard last name to say, People love calling her Ioana Champion, so I think that she has a bright future. And as she continues to have fights like this, I think that it's not going to be too long before she's actually able to carry, um, you know, a, a, a pay-per-view main event spot. Like it's not going to sell 500,000 buys probably, but if they have a card that they know that, hey, look, the undercard's not super great. We don't really have. Uh, a title fight here to really sell it, why not give it to Ioana? Because I think that she's she's building a name. I think she's finding herself in a really interesting position because she's essentially cleared out that division. And right now, like even in her last few fights, we knew knew how great she was. She's still that great. The only people that are benefiting from these fights are her opponents. Right. I have more respect for her opponents being like, wow, they did a good job against her. They still lost. But I was impressed at how well they hang and how they could stand with her and, you know, what they did. But, like, I mean, what can you say about Ioana that hasn't already been said? Yeah, I mean, she's a fantastic striker. She is the best at 115 pounds. And what does she do? She tries to evolve and moves her camp to American Top Team. She's not, you know, just content being the best fighter at that weight and just sticking with the same old stuff. I mean, a lot of people say... Uh, I think Luca Fury pointed this out on the roundtable. A lot of people say if it's not broke, don't fix it. That doesn't mean don't get better. And Ioana's trying to get better. Yeah, one of the really uh, cool things about Ioana and a lot of the, the female fighters nowadays is they look like fighters. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't want to polarize anybody, but there's a there's a bunch of sports where it just doesn't look the same between men and women. It just looks a little different. Maybe maybe a little slower, um, but when Joanna fights, I mean, she looks like a real bona fide fighter, yeah. and, and it's, it's really starting to bridge the gap, so mm -hmm. when I watch her fight, I don't think like, oh, these are girls fighting, I just go, wow, this is an amazing fight, yeah. you know, and she's an amazing fighter. And I think that the way Joanna fights, I think that's actually bridging the gap from some people that are maybe not the biggest supporters of women's mixed martial arts, that... Uh, say, oh, well, I don't, I don't like them because sometimes it gets a little bit sloppy or it's maybe not as technical. Um, what we saw between Kovalkiewicz and Ion Jacek was a very technical fight. It was a very uh, back-and-forth fight with Jacek just proving that she is a bit more refined, a bit more of a completed product, and she's gritty and tough as hell, you know, and, and I... I I think that she really has a bright future. And as more fans see her and, and sort of realize how put together she is from top to bottom, I mean, I've said it for a long time, 115 pounds, that's my favorite division in mixed martial arts. Next to 155, 
it really is my my favorite division because you have fighters that are lightning quick. We saw that they have power. You know, we've seen that tonight. We've seen that from Jacek in the past. And you have really good technique, whether it be on the feet or on the floor. And there's a crop of 115 pounders in, in, in Invicta that are going to get their call up, you know, in the next couple of years. Alexa Grosso just got brought up. Um, you know, a Angela Hill, who was thought to be someone that the UFC didn't need and, and could pass on, has really reinvented herself at Invicta. She defends her title next week. I think that the future at strawweight, while you say, Caleb, Ioana has cleared out the division to a certain extent, yes, in the UFC, yes, but you give it another year or two, there's going to be two or three contenders that are knocking on the door. And uh, let's not forget about the, the people that, yes, she's beaten, but there are rematches to be had in the future. I mean, uh, Carla Sparza was the, the champion at Invicta. Um, you know, she fell a bit flat to you and Jacek, but if she's able to close some of her holes and get a couple more wins, if she rematches, you know, say, Rose Nama Yunus, I mean, Rose, Rose had a hard fight with Kovolkiewicz, but that was a very close fight, too. I mean, let's not, let's not rule out Rose versus Yoana uh, uh, in the future if Rose picks up a couple more wins. So uh, while, you know, the number one through number three contenders have already had their shot, it doesn't mean that they won't get another one again. So uh, Moving on in the card, Chris Weidman did not have the homecoming he wanted to. Um, he looked like the victim of a horror movie. Yoel Romero hit him with a knee and I don't recall a cut in MMA, at least in a while, that bled like that. I mean, special effects movie producers couldn't produce that the way that Yoel Romero did. And, uh, man, Yoel Romero's a real threat here. We had to see him you know, go through his stuff with USADA, but um, all of that aside with the performance tonight, he might be the number one contender at 185. He's definitely terrifying for sure. And uh, just if you Weidman couldn't take him down, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, Weidman, a standout wrestler, I mean, obviously, as is Romero, but uh, in the mixed martial arts fight tonight, it seemed like Chris had Yoel playing his game a little bit. But when Romero got his confidence underneath him, got his base underneath him, and really started to get creative with his strikes, when he went for that knee, man, like Weidman didn't see it coming. And I want to go back and look at it again. It was a jump knee, and there wasn't a lot of space between the knee and Weidman's skull when, when Romero jumped. It was, I mean, there was all the force behind it. And the killer instinct from Romero to throw the hammer fist and, and really not let him breathe, that was quite impressive, too, when he had him hurt on the floor. So, 844 uh, Sherdog sure is the number. It is 844-743-7364. We are hanging out, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu in Las Vegas. Casey, I appreciate you opening the doors to us tonight and uh, letting us hang out here to do this radio show. It's it's, it's a great facility. If you're in the area, uh, come on out and uh, and train. Let's uh, let's talk about Khabib Nurmagomedov, and well, actually, let's talk about Misha Tate. Misha let's Tate, stick with yeah. the uh, let's stick with the main card. Opened up with Misha Tate. Um, she did not have the performance she wanted to against Raquel Pennington. Um, Pennington is not one to overlook. But largely, most people do. She has the longest win streak right now in the women's bantamweight division. Um, is she title bound? It's hard to argue why she shouldn't be. I mean, has she dispatched the people um, that, in the fashion that you would think that maybe a number one contender uh, 
would maybe not maybe she doesn't have like a great highlight but but to defeat misha tate who largely is not in a great place mentally who said she was going to walk away um i don't like anyone retiring in the cage unless it's been a long long career and there's sort of a ceremonious let's take the gloves off and set them in the center of the mat and walk out not a big fan of of her retiring that way but clearly she needs a break she's burnt out she's not performing the way she wants to Caleb, let me ask you this. Do you feel that Raquel Pennington performed and did what she needed to do and this is a great win for her? Or was this Raquel Pennington taking advantage of a declining Misha Tate? Uh, I mean, I think the the second part of the question is true, but I definitely think the first part of the question is true. I think that Misha Tate is very burned out. I think, I don't, before the fight even started, I, I was saying like, I don't understand why she's on this card. I don't know why she took this fight. I, it just it didn't make sense to me because she had just lost her title, mm-hmm. you know, and even then it was kind of a quick turnaround. And then to come back to this, I didn't feel like there was a lot for her to gain fighting Rocky. Yeah. But there was a lot for her to lose. Sure. And it, yeah, I just, I don't know why she took this fight. It, it was, it was an absolute it was a bad situation for her to be in. It, it was hard. Um, you know, she got beat badly by Amanda Nunes. And Casey, you can you can speak to this. When a fighter gets pretty dominated and dominated in, by strikes in a fight, um, how hard is it for them to build their confidence back, to get back into the cage and really sit down in their punches and go, okay, I'm going to get in a firefight here and I'm not afraid to get hit because – when you get your nose bashed in the way that Misha Tate did against Nunez, I think that there's a bit more of an uphill battle than one is maybe used to just getting ready for another fight. For sure. I agree with that. You know, if it's a flash knockout, you didn't see it coming, you know, you're like, okay, we can we can deal with that. When you get dominated, it's almost like you have to go through an entire rebuilding process, and this can take months. Yeah. You know, sometimes I know a lot of fighters have hired sports psychologists. They've completely overhauled their camps, everything, training partners. They've moved. You know, I don't know if all of that happened leading up to this fight, but uh, definitely there will be some confidence issues coming off of a fight like that for mm. sure. Um. What do you think about Pennington as a number one contender? I mean, uh, there's there's Valentina Shevchenko sort of waiting in the wings. She got a big win over Holly Holm. Um, I guess it's 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 weird because I don't think many people predicted Raquel Pennington to be at the top of the the bantamweight picture, but clearly she's in the mix. That proverbial mix we always talk about. I love her style. She doesn't run from anybody. She she gets in your face and starts to fight with you. You know, uh, she fought one of my girls, Ashley Evan Smith and uh, choked her unconscious, and um, I've been a fan of hers ever since. You know, contrary to what most people think, when one of my fighters loses to another fighter, I become a fan immediately, and I start tracking them and following them. And, right. And uh, I've I've watched her fight every fight, and I love her style, and I think she deserves it for sure. I mean, Eve Edwards said that about Tony Ferguson because he fought Tony, lost to Tony. He wants Tony to go out there and win fights because – you know, it uh, it does well for him. It makes him look better. Like, oh, I lost to the guy that could potentially be fighting for the title. Like, you never want to lose, but you only want to lose to the best, right? Like, for for a long time, uh, I th- actually I think he retired this way. Sean Shirk only lost to either UFC champions or future UFC champions. You know what I mean? And, and that looks good when you look at his resume. Going, okay, look, he lost to Frankie Edgar. I remember when he lost to Frankie Edgar, people were like, 
man, Sean Shirk lost to Frankie Edgar. He's definitely taking a step back. And then Frankie Edgar goes on to win a UFC championship in that run. So, yeah, I can definitely see, like, wanting fighters to do well when they get the best of you. Um, let's talk about Frankie Edgar. He went through a pretty scary moment with Jeremy Stevens, but proved that he still is every bit as good as the Frankie Edgar that earned the interim title shot against Jose Aldo. Um, he he looked small, though. He looked yeah. really small at 45. And again, let's not forget, he was the lightweight champion. Um, you know, he's comfortable and he's done well at 145 pounds. But when you see him dwarfed by Jeremy Stevens, you can't help but think, like, man, what if what if Frankie Edgar did cut down to 35? I like I never even crossed my mind until I saw this fight, and it, it blew my mind. How like he drops weight class and he's still undersized. Yeah, like it was. And, and Jeremy Stevens, he's he's tall and he's lost a lot of muscle since being at lightweight. Mm -hmm. But he's I don't think he's one of the bigger featherweights. No, uh, I mean I don't recall Jeremy Stevens really dwarfing anybody. I mean, yeah, he's like you said, he's not small, but he's not. He's not making anyone look like the big brother's fighting the little brother. And, I mean, it looked like he was doing that here uh, tonight. That's what makes Frankie Edgar so amazing. When you just think about what he did in lightweight division. Yeah. And then look at him at the featherweight division, and he's still a small guy. Yeah. And, I mean, let's not forget his first fight with Jose Aldo was very competitive. He lost the first three rounds, but he started to rally. He started to, to pick up. And I think that will, that's what was really intriguing about Edgar fighting Aldo the second time, would he be able to rally and, and sort of steal the uh, fight a little bit earlier from Aldo? But Jose Aldo is still firmly Jose Aldo, despite getting knocked out by Conor McGregor. Um, let's, uh, I mean, what, what would you guys like to see for, for Frankie? I mean, if, if McGregor walks away from 45, then Aldo's going to become the undisputed champion. Edgar's not going to probably get a title fight for a little while. I mean, he's going to have to get some more wins, but even with two more wins, I don't see them throwing him in there with Aldo anytime soon. Like when you've lost to the same guy twice, very hard to make a third or make a trilogy. You know, do you think he's still in the mix at 45 if, if he gets a couple more wins and Aldo's the champion, or should he consider moving down to 135? I feel like he is in that Rich Franklin position where Rich Franklin was under Anderson Silva, right. and then there was a mile before you got to the number three guy. And I feel like that's where he can he can beat anyone else in that weight class, but he's he's not going to beat Jose. Right. And so what do we do with him? We don't want to have him beating all of our guys because right. that's going to we're not going to be able to set Jose up with anybody. But we also don't want to put him in there with Jose again. So I think he's going to be in limbo for a while. Like this would be probably a good time to have him go back to coaching the Ultimate Fighter or or do something that can kind of build his name again and get him some steam. To where people are going to be like, oh, yeah, you know what? I think he should fight Jose Aldo. Wow, that's a great point. That yeah. would be really good for him because they're going to keep jumping four over him to fight Aldo, and then he's going to fight three for the next one or vice versa. Mm -hmm. But they're definitely not going to give him a crack just, just for sake of keeping things fresh. It's like the, it's like the uh, roles that Joseph Benavidez and Henry Cejudo had for – the ultimate fighter. It's like exactly. both of those guys aren't going to fight for the title anytime soon. So why not go do tough and, and make something out of that? Yeah, that, that's not a bad suggestion uh, by any means. Um, 
All right, let's talk. Uh, we've already talked about Khabib and, and, and Michael Johnson. Solid win for Nurmagomedov. Um, I, I'm just wondering now, you know, with this fight and in the, in the last fight, if Khabib, the new Khabib 2.0 after this long layoff, if he isn't just a little bit of maybe a slow starter. You know, he he, he didn't get it going the way that a lot of people thought he would against Horcher, and tonight he had to go through some pretty deep waters with Michael Johnson. Do you think that maybe he was still knocking off some ring rust, Casey? Could could Khabib now, going forward, be finally the guy that we saw before the layoff? Yeah, I think so. I, I think coming off of a long layoff, you have you definitely have confidence issues. Is is my cardio going to hold up? Right. Is my knee going to hold up? You know, has the game evolved past me? I mean, if you just look back 10 years ago, this sport looks totally different, you know? And and just because we're on Norgan Madoff, we'll talk about Tony Ferguson coming off of the Ultimate Fighter. You know, he had a few fights. He mm. broke his arm against Michael Johnson, and I think he took 14 months off. When he came back, he went all the way back down to the bottom. We came back fighting Mike Rio at UFC 166, and... Um, you know, the whole game changed. All the fans, nobody knew who he was anymore. Right, yeah. It just moved so fast. So I believe that, you know, how long was he out before the Horcher fight? It was a while, right? It was a while, yeah. I'd have to pull it up in the Fight Finder. And uh, my phone's getting inundated with phone calls, so uh, I'm not going to be able to do that. But uh, uh, let's get some phone calls coming in. We'll just briefly go down the rest of the results. Tim Boach defeated Rafael Natal, uh, 3 minutes, 22 seconds. Round number one, I picked Natal to win this fight, largely because... I just think Bosch is on the backside of his career, but you know what? What's what do they say? There's nothing more dangerous uh, than a wild animal than a wounded wild animal. Tim Bosch knows that he's on the backside of his career. His back is up against the wall, he's, so he can destroy you. He's one of those guys like Dan Henderson, where you just you're better off not betting that fight because he can knock anyone out at any time. Mm-hmm. He just has to land that punch, and so we, I, we've seen him pull this up before. And so, yeah, that's that's a guy that I would avoid betting any fight that he was in. Vicente Luque knocked out Bilal Muhammad. The end comes at 1 minute 19 seconds of round number one. Jim Miller, victorious over Tiago Alves. A unanimous decision goes the way of Jim Miller. And then Liz Carmouche opened up a historical evening, defeating Caitlin Chukagin. Uh, the end was a split decision for Carmouche. All right, 844-SHIRDOG is the number. It is 844-743-7364. We are live here on the SureDog Radio Network. Had some technical issues to start the program, but we finally got past them. I was freaking out a little bit. I was like a guy that needed to cut the blue wire and um, keep cutting the green wire. We made it through, but... uh, yeah, I appreciate you joining us here uh, on the road tonight on the SureDog Radio Network. So, all right, let's try this. I, I think this will work. Uh, beat down. Who's this? Are you there? Oh, wait, hold on. i got to take my phone out of this case because it doesn't make a solid connection with the microphone input. So let's, let's try this now. All right, beat down. Hello? No. No. Hang on. I think i push this button. It might not work. Hello? Dang it. Let's do this. Hello? What if homeboys... Hello? There we go. There, there we, we go. go. Uh, welcome to Beatdown. How are you? I'm doing good, DJ. How about you? Good. Who's this? This is Ryan from D.C. Hey, Ryan. How are you this evening? I'm doing well. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, I might have missed it earlier because of some technical difficulties. But uh, Misha Tate just started retiring tonight. I know it's kind of 
bit of a downer. Like, from that performance tonight, I thought, I was really wondering if she'd lost a step or exactly what was going on there. Um, but, yeah, I'd just like to get a little bit of thoughts maybe on what you think her legacy is sure. in uh, women's mixed martial arts. I appreciate the call, Ryan. Thank you. You know, looking at Misha Tate, uh, earlier in the show, I said I don't like anyone retiring in the cage unless, like, the way Babalu left, uh, I believe it was Bellator in his last fight. I mean, Babalu had a long career, you know what I mean? A very long career, fought in some crazy tournaments. And, and the way that he went out, taking off his gloves in the cage, that meant something. That was very ceremonial. Um, Misha Tate retired tonight out of frustration, out of being fatigued, not because she fought, but just the, the grind of going from champion and then losing your next fight. Um, I think she'll sit down with, with her fiancé, uh, Brian Caraway, and, and Robert Fallis, and they'll come to a decision on what she's going to do next with her career, a much more clear-headed decision uh, once they get home. But you want to talk about legacy. Misha Tate is every bit as important as Ronda Rousey is to the women's bantamweight division. Um, you know, she was the torch bearer when Ronda took the title off of her in Strikeforce. And Ronda technically didn't lose that title until she fought Holly Holm late last year. Um, Misha has always been the foil to Ronda. And without Misha Tate, I really don't think that there's a Ronda Rousey. Um, I, I think that she should be considered, for my money, probably the second best women's bantamweight fighter of all time. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I mean, she was there in the beginning, and she was her and Ronda were the ones that really propelled this uh, women's MMA. That was the first real rivalry on the biggest stage. I mean, Gina Carano had a rivalry with Chris Cyborg, but I mean, it wasn't a 135-pound rivalry. It was the the pinnacle of women's mixed martial arts, but when you look at the Bantamweight division and the evolution of women's mixed martial arts, I go with Misha Tate, number two. I just don't think that there was the story there between Cyborg and Gina Carano. They fought once, and mm -hmm. Gina was never seen or heard from again, Right. whereas Misha Tate fought her way back. She got that rematch, and even to like further it is she came in and she beat the girl that finally beat Ronda. So, like, they have a great story going. Yeah, and, and when you look at Cyborg, Cyborg, I, I think Cyborg is the best pound-for-pound -pound female fighter in the world, but it, she didn't get to that level when she beat Carano. She had to go to Invicta, and she had to say, look, I'm a 145-pound fighter. You want me to fight? I'm going to fight here at 145. And she held that uh, stance for a very long time until the UFC just finally said, please come over and take some fights at 140 pounds and she's done that but when, when it comes to the bantamweight division uh misha is in that discussion number two uh of all time for my money so uh her legacy she has a good one i don't think she's done though i really don't think she's done uh she's burnt out she lost a fight she lost a fight that the, she felt she could have won have you ever had to talk someone off the ledge of retirement casey all the time i you know one of the things that I tell everybody is revenge is a dish best served cold, but I use that for all my decision making. Like whenever I feel emotional about something, I make a point to never make a decision at that moment. I wait and think about it and, and come back later. And I really advise everybody that I know, business wise, fighting, whatever, I just tell them, give it a week, yeah. come back and think about it and talk about it. And 
it, largely it's only mixed martial arts and combat sports where you get a retirement in the, the performing area. I mean, you look at baseball. If someone retires, you know it's their last game. It's because they had a press conference at the beginning of the season or those decisions aren't made after a disappointing loss. So, yeah, I, I think that she'll probably be back. Caleb, you think she'll be back? Yeah, I'm hoping that she is. I think that she could play this off really well and be kind of a hot commodity for another fight with Ronda, especially if Ronda's not gunning for that Holly Holm fight. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that. Um, I think Ronda comes back win, lose, or draw against Amanda Nunes. I think there's a good chance we don't see her fight again. Um, you know, with Connor making the payday that he is, I, I know Ronda's going to make good money with this Nunes fight. I wouldn't be surprised if it's one and done, though, for Ronda. She's already talked about potentially walking away. If she loses, I don't think we ever see her fight again. But even if she wins, sh she might be done. So uh, 844-SHIRDOG, again, is the number, 844-743-7364. It's a late one already. It's past 3 a.m. on the East Coast. This was a night where the UFC had three title fights. It was going longer than that normal three-hour pay-per-view window. Um the electricity, though, inside Madison Square Garden, I don't think that had anybody sleeping. The way that this crowd cheered for, for their favorites, for, for Conor McGregor, um, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, while he's from uh, the Carolina area, I mean, he's trained with Ray Longo and company. He was, for all intents and purposes, a New Yorker tonight. The crowd was electric, and uh, we got to see that in the most famous arena on the planet. Let's go back to the phones. Beatdown, who's this? Hey, John, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Very good. What's going on, sir? Yeah, I just want to talk real quickly about uh, Jim Miller. And uh, there's probably a bunch of people uh, waiting to get on the line, so I'll make this quick. I was super impressed with uh, what he was able to do tonight. Uh, he used, I guess, a superior grappling to control a bigger, a bigger, more stronger man. It was, like, super impressive. And um, I know BJ Penn uh, is fighting at 145, but if he wants to come back, what do you think about that fight, Jim Miller versus BJ Penn? Jim Miller has kind of proven to us that uh, his decline for a while, we can kind of agree that it, it, it was the Lyme disease. And I just want to know, like, what do, you, what do you want to see next for Jim Miller? And I'll take it off the air. Thank you for taking my call. Appreciate the call. I mean, Jim Miller... Um, is similar to uh, Misha Tate in the sense that Jim isn't the greatest lightweight of all time. He isn't the, the top five greatest lightweights of all time, but he holds a place in being very relevant in the lightweight division for a very long time, in the modern era, a very long time. Is he better than BJ Penn when it comes to legacy? No, he's not. Uh, would a win over BJ Penn further him? Unfortunately, no. It wouldn't. BJ is at a point now where, I mean, he's been scheduled for fights and he can't make it. Now, whether or not that's an IV ban issue or whether it's an issue of, of getting injured, I don't know where BJ is at. And if I were the UFC, I mean, they had to cancel the card in Manila because BJ couldn't make it. I wouldn't be jumping up and down to get him another fight. I really wouldn't. I, w I would say, I don't know what you do. I don't know if you make him go through a training camp and he's healthy you get him in there or if you just tell him hey um get healthy stay healthy we'll call you on a week's notice when something comes up i just i don't you know fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me 
I don't want to say that you're going to get burned again because I don't want to discredit a great like BJ Penn, but I just don't know where BJ's head is at. And uh, it's, it's tough to build a card around someone like that. From another perspective, I'm a huge BJ Penn fan. I love BJ Penn. At one point, I probably even said that he was my favorite fighter, but I don't want to see him fight anymore. It's the same thing in his last few fights as it was for me watching Pele's last few fights, where it was like, this guy is such an icon to me, and I can't watch him just get his ass kicked over and over and over again. And it, it just breaks my heart because I know how good he was. And with every fight, it kind of like, it, it just diminishes him in, in, in my eyes. And I, I really like him, and I, I, don't, I, just, I just don't want him to do that anymore. Does BJ Penn continue fighting and losing or continue being scheduled for fights and not making it Casey? Does it, does it hurt his legacy? I think so, for sure. I think that um, someone needs to sit down and have like a real talk with him and figure out exactly, like, what are you trying to accomplish? Why right. do you want to fight? What can be added? What can be taken away, you know, from, yeah. from this, this journey? Are sure. you really going to move on and fight for a title? You know, let's, let's really sit down and think about it because – I know that um, the UFC could provide a training camp for him, but would he be willing to do that? It's tough. I mean, that's the thing, too. BJ has always fought for himself. He's never needed to fight. He comes from a very well-to-do family. And when BJ has fought throughout his entire career, it has been to prove a point. I don't know what he's proving now. The only thing he's proving is to himself, you know, that I can still do this. And the last two attempts, he hasn't been able to do this. He hasn't made the fight. So, You know, I, I this just kind of light bulb went off. You know where I would love to see BJ Penn? Submission grappling. I would love to see him in like an EBI or something of that nature where he can get back to yeah. the, the original BJ Penn and, and, you know, kind of like give some, breathe some life into a career because oh, I think that's I love that idea. I love yeah. the thought of that. And, and I mean, BJ, let's let's not forget BJ's nickname, The Prodigy. He's called The Prodigy because how long was it? Like three or four years for him to get a black belt? Like, I mean, he picked up Brazilian jiu-jitsu lightning quick. And uh, I'd love to see him go back to his roots. That'd be a really neat kind of end cap on it. You know, start jiu-jitsu. You right. have your MMA career and finish in jiu-jitsu. A lot of guys are doing it. Chad George is doing it. You know, he's going strictly right. jiu-jitsu. And, and I think that you can make money now. And, and I think that while jiu-jitsu, especially the submission-only movement, is definitely building steam, to really become a mainstream success, it needs established stars. And I'm not saying this is not a knock to Gary Tonin or Eddie Cummings or Gordon Ryan, the Dan Hurd Death Squad. They're wreck and shop. They're great. They're fantastic. And they're beloved by jiu-jitsu heads. But if I've learned anything in mixed martial arts, there are hardcore fans and there are casual fans. Guys like Conor McGregor make casual fans hardcore fans. Guys like BJ Penn could make casual grappling fans hardcore grappling fans. And it'd be a great crossover, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we talk about torches to be passed. If he were to fight a guy like Gary Tonin, I respect Gary Tonin. I know how good Gary Tonin is. If he were to tap BJ Penn, me as an MMA guy, respect even more to Gary Tonin. So... I'd love to see it. Well, we know Gary Tonin would take that in a heartbeat. Right, yeah. I mean, I think anybody would, you know? Just the question is, this is my only one concern, and, and maybe it does take a guy like BJ to do it. There's money there. There's money to be had. 
But there's, I mean, you're never going to go get a guy like Conor McGregor to go do it right now. You're not going to get the the top, the elite, because the, just the money isn't there. A guy like BJ Penn who wants to prove something, maybe there, maybe he does go out and literally just try to prove something. So who knows? Let's go back out to the phones. Uh, welcome to Beatdown. Who's this? This is Bo from Texas. Uh oh. Hi, Bo. Yes. You know, are we live? We are live. Um, I, I think, I don't know, the phone screener might need to, like, issue you a breathalyzer before you call. You know how you, uh, like, what do they call that, the interlock or whatever? You got to, like, blow into your car before you drive it? Bo should have to do that hey, into his cell phone. I call 1-844-SHIRDOG, and you know what? I'm stuck talking to you, so you're stuck with me. Uh, it's true. You are here. So, Bo, what's on your mind? Good night, not the blow away night everybody was looking for with the whole, you know, oh, and. Let me stop you there for a second, Bo, because when things are built up on paper, rarely they deliver to the magnitude that people want. But if you look at this fight card, this was a memorable night. I mean, you had three interesting title fights. You had one sort of kerfuffle in the co-main that's going to live in infamy forever. And Conor McGregor became the first two-divisional champion, simultaneous champion in UFC history. How did this night not deliver? No, it did. I love it. And if I can break kayfabe for a second, I'm not really from Texas. I'm from Ground Zero. I'm in New York. Your accent sounds so San Antonio, though, Bo. No, Bo from San Antonio is a different person. I am not Bo from San Antonio. I'm Bo from Texas. We've actually covered this on a previous episode, but maybe you were too intoxicated to remember. No, I know. We've discussed this many times. Yes. But, no, it was a good night. It was, no, I love the fight. It's great. It was... Just, I don't know. It's, something was, like, underwhelming about it. Uh, I think there was, I mean, the, the Romero fight was kind of lackluster until, boom, it was exciting. Right. And that excitement carried me through to the main event. The fights that happened between then and the main events were very competitive. They were very good, but they didn't have that pop that I was looking for. And then the the main event came and it had that pop, that excitement where I was like, oh, yes, I don't, I can't believe this happened. And so, and, and then you got to add in like the Misha Tate retirement. There was a lot that, there's a lot of story to this card. I mean, if you're going to write a recap of this event, the word count oh, is going to be an issue. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's really nothing you can skip over. No. And really, Romero winning, actually, I thought it was like one of the more like just ridiculous, fantastical moments of the night like Jesus Christ this guy is like I, I, what the hell yeah, I don't know alright Bo I appreciate the call Jesus you're such a hater <laughs> how am I a hater I'm just moving on Bo appreciate the call uh, we'll do one more phone call before we go I have to take you out tonight it's your bachelor party yeah yeah it's getting late I mean we're gonna get into the territory of like weird things happen at this time in Las Vegas it's Vegas. When the sun goes down, weird things happen. You yeah, I mean, there. weird weird for you in L.A., but when oh, it gets weird sorry. for Vegas, right. this is like therapy sessions. <laughs> All right. So, like, I'm going to go home with PTSD. 
if we don't get out there soon. You know, if if we get to into some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier, it could definitely work out that way. All right. Uh, I don't know what that means. Apparently, you had a conversation that wasn't involved <laughs> with me. Uh, so that's interesting. Uh, 844-SHIRTDOG is the number, 844-743-7364. Casey, you were kind enough to open your doors uh, for this radio show for us to, to set up shop. I'm going to give you the opportunity to like try to get some new students. Uh, how can people come train with you? Awesome. If you guys are in the Vegas area, please look us up at 10thplanetlasvegas.com. If you're in Orange County, you can look up uh, 10thplanetmonstersquad.com. We have gyms in Irvine, Orange, Buena Park, Las Vegas, Tucson, and uh, Costa Mesa, of course. And uh, you can follow me on uh, coach.casey on Instagram, and uh, you'll see everything that we got going on over here. And if you're not in the western United States, there's probably a 10th planet near you. Uh, It's crazy. I see... 10th Planet, to me, is always known for these rash guards. You almost have, like, this biker club thing going on because I see these 10th Planet rash guards, and then there's, like, the little rocker, like, 10th Planet Omaha. It's like, what, there's a 10th Planet in Omaha? Where isn't there a 10th Planet at this point? You guys are everywhere. Yeah, we're, we're growing quickly. You know, the no-gi movement is really the sub-only no-gi movement is starting to push forward and, and gain traction, and I believe that our style fits MMA pretty well you know and, and as you can see we, we've got a lot of guys and gals fighting right now you can go on 10thplanetjj.com that's eddie bravo's website look at locations i think there's something like 70 worldwide now we're in europe everywhere you know there's only eight planets though right because pluto because pluto got demoted yep so that's a shame i know i like the fact that you stuck with the name though it's already established you can't mess with it right what are we going to call it, Ninth Planet? Well, yeah, I mean, there's only ten planets, or the only nine planets. or No, there's only eight planets, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, so check it out. If you are anywhere, there's a Tenth Planet school. Maybe you can teach me something. To, to ham sandwich, trucks. I don't know what's happening at these EBI sometimes. And Scott Ross and Eric Cruz, they don't tell me. They're like, oh, he's got the ham sandwich, and we just don't have enough time to cover that. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Is it on wheat? Rye? <laughs> Is there mayonnaise? Must I don't get it, so... It's a it's a compression lock, I, I think like a knee compression, from uh, well you can get it from many positions, but most likely you're gonna get it from the guard. I could definitely show you that. No, I don't want you to show me anything. I rolled here today. I'm I'm feeling it. Like we've had enough time removed that I didn't like stretch and roll things out. So like, I'm in pain. But uh, it's all right. It's nothing a night in Vegas can't uh, cure at some point. So I don't think we're going to get that final phone call. Uh, if you missed any part of the broadcast tonight, all access panel at SureDog.com, iTunes Music Store under podcast. I will be back on Monday. Uh, quick beatdown edition coming your way on the website. And then on Wednesday, I will broadcast live from Kansas City as we get ready for Invicta FC 20. Two titles on the line. Angela Hill defends her strongweight title against uh, Kalina Medeiros. And then in the main event, Tanya Evinger goes for her 10th straight win, quietly becoming one of the most dominant bantamweights in the world. Tanya Evinger, man, like this this she she's right there with Raquel Pennington in a roundabout way because to me I think Tanya could come in and immediately fight for a title in the UFC she hasn't lost in like two or three years she's beating people with a, a pretty uh, vicious output we'll see what she does against Yana Kuniskaya the 20th Invicta FC this Friday night on UFC Fight Pass for Caleb Quinn Casey Hall- Hallstatt Halston. I'm trying 
I'll get there. You're doing a great job. Thank you, sir. I'm TJ DeSantis. You just got beat down on the Sure Dog Radio Network. Have a great evening, everybody. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to desantisprod at gmail.com.